Out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and right doing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. When the soul lies down in that grass, the world is too full to talk about. Ideas, language, even the phrase each other doesn't make sense. Hi everyone. Our guest today is Eric. Eric is another of my inside timer friends who have, in the short period that we have known each other, made a big impact on my life. Eric is not only a Buddhist who practices Zen, but he applies a principle to his life which is called Big Mind. It is a fascinating modality which he demonstrates during our chat. Go to www.bigmind.org to learn how to speak to all aspects of your being rather than about them. I tried to explain it in my own words, but failed miserably, so I'd rather quote from the website. Big Mind, Big Heart Zen is a Western path, way and community which aims to assist its followers in manifesting their fullest potential, realizing and actualizing their inherent wisdom and compassion, and living happy and joyful lives filled with love and compassion, free and at home in their own skin. Coming from the synthesis or apex of our absolute and relative nature, it encompasses the yin and yang or complete circle of our humanity. It enables us to own, embody and be empowered by fully awakening aspects or voices within us from the purest to the darkest. We see that each voice or self has the capacity to transform from unawakened to awakened, from disowned to owned, immature to mature, unhealthy to health, or that when a voice is either unawakened or disowned, it acts out in COVID, unhealthy, and even pathological ways. Just as all sentient beings are born with the same wisdom and compassion as the awakened ones, all aspects of self have the same capacity when awakened. As a Swedish person living in South Africa, Eric is on a mission to make a difference and impact in the world. He is currently doing this through his company, Watobi. Watobi is a free online maths teaching portal who offers free math lessons on their website daily. What an amazing initiative! Please visit his website www.watobi.co.za to see what this is all about. In my books, whoever can help a young person to reduce the anxiety about maths needs to win some sort of prize. Watch this space. Please also look out for information on my book, Life and Non, A 12-Step Guide to Life. You can find it by following the link from the right of my homepage, which is www.freddy.org.za. It costs 300 rand without postage. Order from the Life and Non website, which is www.lifeandnon.co.za by clicking on the red Buy Now button at the right of the page. This is Eric's story. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Eric, good morning. Welcome to Meet Me in Phil. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks, Freddie. I'm happy to hear that. Thank you for taking the time on a Sunday morning to meet me in the field for a, for a chat. Um, you yeah. are... You are literally a, a, a brand new friend, um, so I know very little about you, which makes it even more exciting. So um, let's get to know each other and let the, the listeners hear what interesting paths you have walked in your life. First thing first is you practice Zen. Am I, I correct? Okay, cool. Um, I, I, I'll get to this. I would like to get to the story about how that happened later on in the chat but what is Zen? Oh <laughs> yeah so this is um, a question that every Zen master loves to answer in a new way usually by saying something really irreverent or off the cuff uh, which isn't always the most helpful way uh, to the interlocutor and you know to understand what it truly is so I can give you the kind of more kind of Wikipedia answer of what yes. is Zen, and then I can kind of give you a taste okay. of what Zen is. Uh, because I do think Zen is better experienced than it is kind of discussed. Um, okay. But Zen is, is uh, a form of Buddhism, I suppose. Um, it, uh, when, when Buddhism came from India, where it first originated, um, into the kind of Eastern part of Asia through, through China and then Japan, it changed form. It kind of mixed in with local culture, 
uh, Taoism in China, a bit of Confucianism. Uh, it came over into Japan, which has its own uh, culture and religion and, and so on. And, you know, it, Buddhism, like any religion, kind of uh, isn't a static thing. It, it keeps evolving. It keeps mixing with a local culture. Um, same with Christianity, same with Islam, same with anything. Um, so the Zen, uh, the way it's practiced today, is, uh, I guess, half Japanese culture that's been kind of transported to the West and had some further um, changes, or one might say bastardization, if uh, one is a firm believer in the traditional ways, or one might just say evolution, if one is more kind of uh, agnostic about these things. Um, so the Zen that I practice is not one where I shave my head and walk around in robes and prostrate or, and chant a lot. Although um, when on retreat, I do participate in ceremonies and things like that. But the Zen that I practice is very much a Zen that's relevant to my life. It's meditation, it's sitting practice, it's contemplation, it's using many of these signposts, um, leading all the way back to the Buddha, but also through many Zen masters that have lived through the centuries and the insights and the teachings that they've shared. Um, and trying to integrate that and, and um, make that useful in my life. Okay. Ultimately, I don't really see Zen as a religion um, in the sense of having a set of dogmas. Uh, Zen is a school of sudden awakening, meaning there isn't some set of hoops you have to jump through or set of things you need to do in order to be worthy or in order to be virtuous or in order to be anything in order to attain enlightenment. Um, you just have to wake up and the more direct and easy and sort of lack, you know, um, the, the, the more, uh, what can we call it? The more um, stripped down it is of um, convention, tradition, dogma, etc. the more true it is in some sense, because awakening is simply awakening to reality. It's not awakening to some lengthy sutra that you have to memorize end to end in order to be, you know, awakened. It's just life itself. It's your suffering. It's your joy. It's your relationship. It's your brief moment on this earth. Um, and that's it. That's Zen. Um, cool. And why it's useful to me, uh, coming back to that, is simply that it gives me a framework through which to deal with life's blows. Right. So let me give you an example. There was a um, a Zen master who uh, had the following teaching. If you speak a word of Zen, you receive 30 blows from the master. If you don't speak a word of Zen, you also receive 30 blows. Right? So whether, whether, whether you speak a word of Zen or you don't, you're going to get 30 blows, right? And the, the, the trick, I suppose, is to appreciate those blows that your master or life itself deals you. Because it doesn't matter if you do it perfectly, you're still going to suffer. And that's where it links back to Buddhist principles. That what is the first noble truth? Life is suffering. Yeah. And so the way to come to terms to that is to not fight against that, resist that, but simply to embrace that. So that gives you a little taste of kind of how the, this esoteric practice that traveled through China, Japan, and so on, and came to the West, first through America, and then to other parts, uh, how I've integrated that into my life. It's, it's simply oh, to appreciate life. Yeah. Awesome. So what I'm hearing from you, if I understood this correctly, is Zen is a Buddhist practice. But am I correct? Yes. Okay. But not all Buddhists necessarily practice Zen. Or do they? Uh, no. I mean, again, so, let, so let's... Um, if I say the broadest possible definition of Zen, that it's just your life, then we can say, you know, we're all alive. Um, every sentient being is alive. Therefore, you know, it's all infused with, with Zen and Buddha nature. Now, not everybody self-identifies as a Zen practitioner or as, a, or, uh, you know, as having a Zen practice. So, um, no, you're right. I mean, there are, there are all kinds of Zen. There, there's uh, Tibetan um, there's all kinds of Zen. So there's, there's a various schools within the Zen tradition itself. So the Rinzai school or the Soto school, uh, sometimes called sects of Zen. Um, and then there's uh, Zen in Korea, there's Chan in, in China, there's Thai Buddhist monks that are in the Zen tradition, okay. Vietnamese, Thich Nhat Hanh. 
I mean, there, there's, Zen has its own many forms of expression. And then beyond that in Buddhism, Tibetan Buddhism or uh, Sri Lankan Buddhism or Indian Buddhism. I mean, there's, um, it's fascinating to read about how these things spread, but ultimately that's more kind of a history, ex an exercise in knowing your history rather than an exercise in knowing your own life or having any wisdom. I actually only, I wouldn't have even been able to tell you all these things until a few months ago when I started digging around in the history. So okay. I've been practicing Zen for 12 years and I never bothered to really investigate how, you know, the, the lineage from yeah. Buddha onwards evolved. So that gives you a sense that you can definitely be a practitioner without knowing your history. Um, but I do think that knowing the history of it enriches it a little bit and gets, gives you context, especially for things like when I, as a Swedish man living in South Africa, practice Zen, is it legitimate for me to do so in my own way? Or must I memorize a bunch of Buddhist Japanese chants, right? And the fact that the Japanese stole it, quote, quote unquote, from the Chinese, and that they stole it from the Indians, gives me permission to steal it and turn it into my own thing, you know? Absolutely. I, yeah. I completely get that. And how does, we, how does one become a Zen master? When... Who decides when you get the badge? So in the Zen tradition, um, there is a uh, strong belief in the teacher-student relationship uh, and um, that the teacher transmits the teaching from one generation to the next. Um, and we call that the lineage. So my teacher, whose name is Genpo Roshi, is based in the United States. He received transmission from his teacher, whose name was Maizumi Roshi. So Roshi just means master. Um, so that's why they're all called Roshi this or Roshi that, or, or sensei. Um, uh, they may also be called, which is also a, um, kind of more junior teacher. So a, a Roshi is a master, a sensei is a teacher. So, um, you know, my teacher can trace his lineage all the way back to the earliest um, Zen monks um, who lived, you know, over a thousand years ago. Okay. So that so you don't become a Zen teacher without another teacher having bestowed that title upon you, and and the reason I think that's important because and I and I do agree that that there's some value to that long lineage is that there it keeps a container for your practice instead of everybody just self proclaiming that there's some guru right without that seal of approval from somebody who has themselves been through the practice yeah. But it also creates problems because if anyone wants to be a re renegade or a maverick or, you know, do things differently, then they run into trouble. And that happened to my teacher. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he's he unconventional. He's this American cowboy. He doesn't want to do it the way the Japanese do it. He offends a lot of people. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think we need to offend a few people in life to make a statement to, to prove that we that we're alive that we are thinking, that we are not just a, 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 a product in a box. So That's somewhere along the line, we, we're probably going to offend a few people. And, you yes. know, frankly, I think religion as a whole is uh, declining in, in a largely secularized scientific world. And so if you try to cling to tradition and it having to be a certain way, like you have to, you know, lead a monastic life, in a Zen center, you know, and have very rigorous, rigid forms of practice. And if that is the only legitimate container for Zen, then it's going to die out. I mean, eventually people will just say, I don't want to live like that. I want a family. I want to live in the modern world. I want to be in that marketplace. Um, it's just not so appealing. So we need to find ways of allowing the practice to evolve and remain relevant for those who are, you know, leading quote, normal, you know, lay life. Um, and the, the people who are monks uh, today in, in my teacher tradition, um, uh, some of them do live in residential Zen centers and they just lead their lives pretty much like people have been doing for centuries. But most of them, even if they spent, you know, significant time on retreat or in such centers have eventually come back out and are now joining the world. And if these practices are to have broad appeal, I think it's important that we have those vessels as well. Cool. So you mentioned you're a Swedish man living in South Africa. So you mm -hmm. were born in Sweden, what, 35 years ago? Correct. Okay. And where in Sweden were you born? I was born in Stockholm. Cool. And I spent the first four years of my life there. But then my family moved to Belgium and I grew up there. And my largely American accent is by virtue of having attended an English-speaking international school. 
And so I, I, although I grew up in Belgium, you can really say I grew up in an expat bubble, right? So I'm your prototypical third culture kid. I've lived across three continents and, you know, I've, I've just traveled and resettled and uprooted myself continuously and adapted. And, and now I live here. How did it happen that, 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 that you ended up in Belgium? So I was only four years old and my dad um, had uh, invested in some property in Sweden. And this happened to be at a time when the Swedish government uh, was very socialist uh, in its uh, leanings. Um, so there was a property bubble and there was an opportunity to sell this piece of real estate for a significant profit. Had we remained in Sweden, I think something like 85% of that profit would have disappeared in taxes. <laughs> which is uh, pretty punchy, you know, if you've made an investment <laughs> and, and you have marginal tax rates at that uh, level. So uh, we made a, a, yeah, a, a decision to uh, move the family to a different country. Um, and uh, yeah, like, I, I guess I just went along. I'm four, I was four years old and I, looking back, I can really value the experience of having grown up in a different country, having learned languages and having, um, you know, I had the opportunity to experience so much, but it did also set me on a path of continuously just floating and roaming and being that traveler who becomes increasingly um, comfortable and, and adaptable in the world, but perhaps sense, lacks that sense of, of rootedness into a place yeah. and this is home for me. You know? you... Um, and when Belgium did you grow up? Just outside Brussels, okay. um, just south of Brussels. Yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. And did you grow up with religion? No, um, both my parents are very secular atheists. Um, my grandmother is religious on my mom's side, um, but it wasn't a, a strong presence in my life. I did attend a, a Catholic school. Um, so it was a school started by nuns and it still had some of that Christian ethos. Um, and I actually, I remember being in primary school and I would attend mass on Friday mornings, even though I wasn't a Catholic, because I just liked the energy of that uh, service that lasted okay. for whatever it was, 45 minutes or an hour, also allowed me to skip math class, which is ironic because I've now dedicated my professional career to teaching math <laughs> to kids here in South Africa. But I... <laughs> that crossed my mind too when you said it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I was looking to skip math class on Friday mornings, and now I teach math. Yeah. Um, it's also interesting yeah. how the two words are so close, mass and mass. Oh, yeah, I think I might have, yeah, something like that. I probably misunderstood it the first time. It's like, I have math now. Math or math? Yeah. <laughs> I don't, which way is it? Down the corridor. On your left, right? <laughs> yeah. Five minutes late in church, you thought, oh, shit, I see no sums. <laughs> Some, something's wrong right. here. I'm in the wrong class. Yeah. I'm in the wrong place. So, exactly. How did you take, take us on your journey right. to how a Swedish boy growing up in Belgium ends up in Cape Town? Okay. And I'll do so. And I'll sprinkle in the kind of spiritual um, journey alongside that, yes. that um, journey. So like I said, I, I, led this international expat bubble life. I didn't have religion in my life growing up. Um, I've always been a thinker um, and uh, I've always been drawn to philosophy um, and I've always liked big ideas. So I think I had the, the constitution, the makeup to, to get in interested in this stuff, but I certainly had very little interest in kind of received dogma or these are the sets of rules that you should live by just because some authority figure said so like that never appealed to me and still doesn't um but in my teenage years um i had uh i suppose this feeling that it was hard for me to belong um you know consistent with that story of, of uprootedness and so on but the belonging wasn't just a lack of belonging to a physical place, it was lack of belonging to community or to groups. I, I got along well with individual friends one-on-one, -on -one, but whenever I found myself in a group setting, it was always a bit like hovering around the periphery of the circle and like wondering what my place was. And so that led me on a journey of exploring uh, my social life and 
trying to improve my social interactions um, and to become more self-aware around how, how I show up in the world, um, you know, learning how to interact with women, which uh, didn't come very naturally to me. Like I never had a girlfriend in, in, like as a teenager or anything like that. Um, and the world and other people's reactions to, her, to you are a beautiful mirror of your inner world, right? They, they, people pick up on your energy. They sense, you know, who you are under the surface, you know, beneath your smile or beneath your jokes, beneath your exterior. And um, I think people might've seen me as pretty serious and kind of pretty intellectual, but kind of hard to relate to or something like that. So um, when I was at university and I attended university up in uh, Scotland first, and then I did an exchange year in Canada. Yeah, all over the shop. Yeah, Why Scotland? Um, uh, Edinburgh, Edinburgh University this is a beautiful town. It's a good university. And uh, I could study there for free by virtue of being a European Union citizen. Um, they have this kind of um, reciprocity system whereby they can send people to your country and oh. you can send to their country. So, yeah, free education in the UK was, was pretty, pretty sweet. Um, and what did and you study? I studied economics and politics. Um, okay. So I wasn't drawn to the humanities, as drawn to the big ideas, as I mentioned previously. Um, and during this journey of kind of exploring my social life and making myself uh, a little more relatable and using other people as a mirror and to myself, I, I can't, went deeper and deeper into this journey of kind of how is it that one day people love my presence and I can come up and be really smooth. And other days I show up in a conversation and people turn their backs or like it's awkward. And I could sense that there was this little thing inside me, this, this uh, energy inside me was like either giving off a really warm, welcoming, confident vibe or a slightly needy vibe, desperate for validation and people's approval. And so I became aware, you could say, of the ego in this way. It was in that mirroring of other people. And I said, oh, this ego is really interesting because the more I want something, the more needy I become and the more I, you know, ruin it for myself. It's like, it's almost like this catch 22, right? And then I, my attention turned to spiritual books. I read The Power of Now um, by Eckhart Tolle and I, I started dabbling in all kinds of meditation. And I suddenly unlocked this world of, really studying this ego entity, this okay. self, this, this needy little voice inside us, this, mm -hmm. this limited self with all its fears and anxieties. And that's what people had been picking up on in, in these interactions. They'd been sensing whether I was coming in the moment from a place of confidence and, and sort of um, genuine self-expression and authenticity, or whether I was coming from a place of needing something from them, like a value sucking kind of yeah. vibe. And, um, and when I started to understand this and I started to shine a light on that ego, uh, I really started a, a journey of personal transformation as well. So I was 21 years old. I'd just gone through a little heartbreak, um, unrequited love. And then I, I read you know, books like The Way of the Superior Man by David Data. And I was like, oh, wow, like this is the journey I got to go on. I got to become a man, you know, and, and I got to tame this like needy voice inside me and I got to like be strong, masculine and and uh, meditate seriously and, and I go on retreats and things like that. And this, this was also around the time that I discovered um, Zen, which okay. has a kind of hardcore um, sort of vibe about it. It's like you sit on the cushion, you meditate and it's, it's austere and somebody you know, rings the gong, the bell and it's like, whoa, okay, cool. These guys are the real deal, right? You know? <laughs> <laughs> I think Zen can have many expressions, including soft, you know, beautiful, pathetic, poetic expressions. Like it is, it's not just that one dimensional, but for me as a young man that really appealed because I felt like I needed some kind of rite of passage. I never joined the army. You know, I never did anything that's kind of typical rite of passage stuff. And uh, I was like, okay, let me, let me go and like have a path now. Um, and so I went to my first Zen retreat in my early twenties and then, um, I started practicing with, with Genpo Roshi, who's my teacher. Um, and I also started getting You're on this retreat. Is that how you got yeah. to do it? Yeah, I'd already kind of discovered him online through his uh, big mind process, which I know you've now experienced as well, Freddie. Um, which we're going to discuss differently, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, that, that was kind of the journey uh, for me 
into spirituality. And it was also the journey uh, of studying economics and politics and then eventually getting interested in international development. Again, big ideas. I wasn't just going to work on some like little corner of a, of a, of a large corporate office. Um, I wanted to work, work on the biggest problems facing humanity. And so international development and poverty alleviation appealed to me. And so when I moved to London later and I started work as a consultant, I found myself um, on these um, consulting projects out in Africa, working on climate change, working on security sector reform in war-torn regions like Burundi and Congo, and just having lots of adventures. And after a few years, I decided, okay, I like that whole development aspect, but I don't like the bureaucracy and the kind of stifling mm. po politics of, of that whole world of, of you know, aid-driven development. I do, however, see myself working in something more entrepreneurial, something more nimble. So I shifted into technology and software, and I learned that whole product management side of, of fast-growing tech companies. And then I combined those strands into what I now do, which is education technology across the African continent and uh, really trying to unlock um, learning and access to high-quality education for millions of African children. And so that professional journey coincided with my own like spiritual evolution, um, growth, self-development for me at an individual level, mirrored by development at a macro level and, you know, uplifting humanity. Those are kind of common themes. Um, and here I find myself today living in South Africa, which is probably like my seventh or eighth African country that I've, I've lived in. Oh, wow. Um, which other yeah. countries have you lived in? So started in Burundi, um, this was 10 years ago, and then Congo, Ethiopia, Kenya, Tanzania, Zambia, South Africa. Yeah, so. Oh, yeah. amazing. Yeah. Um, Africa, then most Africans. <laughs> yeah. No, I've certainly lived in more. We got African footprint. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just love this continent. It brings out um, so much. It, it brings out my sense of adventure. Um, it brings out my sense of endless possibility. Um, I'm an explorer and this is, for me, traveling around Africa gives me a similar vibe, I'm sure, to what and traveling across the unexplored territories of some other region of the world did before those areas developed and became very civilized and kind of, you know, square and, and ordinary. But Africa is wild and Africa is crazy and the rules are, you know, more like suggestions and, <laughs> you know, yeah. It's, it's made me think about the, that double thing. So before I forget, this is one question I, I, I want to ask and it's kind of more tongue in cheek than, than completely serious is, have you ever read the book Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance? I have. <laughs> have I you? have. <laughs> and have I you finished it? <laughs> Uh, yes, I have. I was 24 years old. Um, it was my last year, wait, 20, 2009, 23 years old. It was my last year of university. Um, I read it and I was, you know, really uh, enraptured by it. I, I found that this dual track, uh, as he describes, as Robert Pierce describes in the book of like this romantic side and this rational side and like, the two tracks only meet at the horizon, but you can kind of be a locomotive that rides uh, across both and, and integrate both of these sides in your life. You can feel the wind in your hair as you pull the throttle. Well, I wear a helmet because I'm not that reckless, but you know what I mean? Like I, I, you can feel the wind on your face um, as, you, as you pull the throttle and you can feel the rush of the, of the scenery go by. And that's the romantic side of riding a motorcycle. But you can also stop to inspect your oil levels and make sure the chain is still running smoothly. That's the kind of engineering rational side of, of this um, machine. And he talks about integrating those two. And for me, there's always been this unsatiable desire to integrate and to be more and to not pick and choose, but to always Yes, and, yes, and, yes, and, like just make it bigger, big ideas, big everything. I want to understand the bike and I want to enjoy it. And um, I love this left brain, right brain, brain whole brain experience of, of life. Like it's just never enough. I want, want the whole experience, the whole understanding, the whole, all of it. And so I love that book for that reason. And it's also why I love Zen because Zen doesn't try to fit itself into a box. In fact, it's so self-aware of the human tendency to make things right and other things wrong or have preferences that there's no one expression of Zen. For instance, 
if you come into a Zen center, you might find a very austere Zen teacher that says, just sit. I don't care if you're in pain. I don't care if your knees are hurting, just sit, right? Okay, wow, this is austere. We have to do this a certain way. There's a rigid way of breathing. There's a rigid way of doing expectation, you know, rules, et cetera. Then after a couple of years as a monk, they'll try to break all that down. In fact, when my um, teacher first met his teacher in 1971 or two, 1972, I think, he's, he was interviewed and said, so are you uh, vegetarian? Yes, 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 absolutely. Uh, do you meditate? Yes, every day. Uh, do you, you know, do, do, do you respect all life? Yes, I respect all life. You know, I'm very good, you know, student of, of spirituality. And it's like, okay, great. Well, sh- come along to the party tonight. Uh, we're having a little barbecue. And so uh, my teacher, Gampo, uh, at the time, just his name was just Dennis. He hadn't received his Dharma name yet. He, Dennis shows up to um, the barbecue. And the first thing his uh, new teacher does is hands him a beer and a hot dog and says, welcome. <laughs> you know, so the Zen teacher will just give you what you need to break out of your mold, right? That's, that's, he's not trying to fit you into a mold. Like he's trying to break you out of it. Huh? Yeah. I, I tried to read the book Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance on the back of my husband suggesting that I read it, that he loved it. And Eric, I didn't get it. Hmm. It was was nearly as as in each chapter, a new kind of philosophical layer was was added to to the previous chapter. And and I kind of somehow missed one understanding of, of, of a layer early on. And I kept on thinking that I'm going to catch up and I'm going to get it later on. And I, and I didn't get it. So it's one of the few books in my life that I actually put down that I could not finish because I felt so shit about myself for not getting this. Uh-huh. <laughs> I stopped reading it. Maybe, maybe okay. now that I'm older and more mature, it is time to pick it up. Again. Maybe this is a beautiful segue. It could be. Uh, to uh, the big mind process because we can ah, actually explore. I was going to ask you, where do you want to go first? Big mind or, 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 or what to be? What to be? Okay, yeah, what Toby, yeah, what Toby. Let's, let's do big mind because I think that's kind of how we first uh, um, sort of gotten, got to speaking together. Yeah. Um, and maybe for a bit of context for the listeners, um, you and I both tend to meditate at the same time in the morning and we know this because <laughs> of uh, Insight Timer uh, our meditation app saying these people nearby also meditated at yeah. the same time. And we've been sending thanks for meditating with me back and forth for a few months. And then I noticed that you sent me a, a message saying, Hey, you know, we've got a podcast. We'd be interested in the big mind looks interesting. Cause I had linked the big mind website, yes. which is my teacher's website. And so then we started a conversation. And then and since then uh, you've explored big mind with me on two occasions, yeah. I think one, one remotely and, and one here in person yes. uh, at my place. So, Leading into um, what we're going to do now, Big Mind is a method, a technology for self-inquiry, um, and it's was invented by Gempo Roshi, my teacher, uh, after he had found that Zen, for all its qualities and, and, and benefits, um, lacked certain things, um, and what he felt it was lacking was a recognition of um, the kind of Western psychotherapeutic approach, which is one that tries to really understand uh, psychological dysfunction and tries to heal it, tries to work with it, rather than just dissolve it or ignore it or sit more or breathe through it or do anything of that that an Eastern contemplative tradition might might um, suggest. Now, Western psychotherapists are actually interested in these um, dysfunctions and in, in um, um, you know how we can heal the ego rather than just dissolve the ego. And he felt that was needed because he saw a lot of Zen monks and including his own teacher who simply weren't really that functional. Um, there's alcohol, alcoholics, and there's people who abuse drugs, sex, whatever, even though they're supposedly so holy and enlightened, they, they seem to be um, suffering inside. And he said, well, what is this path if we can't you know, ultimately come out the other end feeling true joy? And true happiness and truly being at ease with ourselves and um integrator that he is similar to me he's like let's take what's best with western psychotherapy and let's combine it with zen because both have something to teach but neither is complete in and of itself um 
And so what he did was uh, he invented something called Big Mind based on um, a process called voice dialogue that had been previously discovered and, and uh, worked on by uh, Hal and Sidra Stone. And they had gotten it out of Jungian um, psychoanalysis, uh, working with shadow and, and so on, that people who might have dabbled in, in the therapy or psychoanalysis might be familiar with. Now, Roshi's contribution to this was to say, let's take these, this, this approach and let's use it to explore kind of the transcendent. So not just heal the ego, but we'll go beyond the ego and really explore uh, what, what awakening is all about. And the way it works is rather than speaking from me, Eric, or the ego, which is how I talk about and think about myself throughout most of my day, let me examine a small part of Eric, just kind of zooming in. If I zoom in on this image of you I'm seeing right now, Freddie, on my screen, like and look at just one tiny pixel within this image, I'll say, I'm interested in that part. It's mm -hmm. not a part I usually address head on. I usually talk to the whole person, Freddie, but now I just want to talk to that one tiny aspect of Freddie. And we can give that, that uh, part a name. We might call it, for instance, the controller, which is a work, uh, a voice that I introduced you to uh, last mm -hmm. week, or we might call it uh, the skeptic or the critic or something else. Like we can, we can yeah. uh, take these emotions, these, these aspects within us, and we can start a dialogue with them. And the way we do that dialogue is, is that we directly address it rather than talk about my critic. Yeah, my critic does this and my inner critic is so hard on me. And it, yeah, yeah, we've all heard that. But what you haven't necessarily done is given that critic a direct voice, a channel. So if I were to say, let me speak to the critic now, and you make a little mental shift, you go, okay, I'm a critic. I criticize everything. I judge things. I'm like full of opinion. Okay, that, that, now it's starting to come out. So, so that's the big mind process. And, and the beauty of it is you're not filtering the conversation through this layer of self and ego that's always trying to, you know, has its own agenda and trying, trying to be appropriate and coming out in all kinds of ways. It's unfiltered, it's raw, and it's just speaking from the voice. Yeah. And amazing the kind of wisdom that that emerges when we do this so first of all before i move on to like doing the process do you have any questions around big mind itself um no um yeah. i think for, just in, in in summary for for the listeners how up what i really liked how you prescribed big mind for me the first time was we don't talk about we talk to so we don't right. talk about our insecurities. Let's talk to the insecurity. Say what, what's going on. And I really like that. It, 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 as you said, it takes the ego out and it brings mm -hmm. the, the, real, the real issue to the front. So let, let, let's not beat about the bush. And let, 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 let's, hear, let, let's hear from the one in the front seat <laughs> when it comes to that issue. <laughs> well, let's put that voice in the driver's seat for once exactly, yeah. rather than always talking about it, you know, as though he's a passenger in the yeah. back and he's so annoying and this and that, yeah. like, no, let's let him speak, yeah. you know, yeah. another analogy. <laughs> exactly. Another analogy that I like, and maybe it's because I'm so like caught up in startups and, and running companies and so on, but is that of an employee within a business, right? Uh, so, you know, often we talk to, you know, we talk about the self, which is like the whole company, right? This, this, you know, whatever the company might be, IBM or F&B or Tesla or something, you know, but what about talking about that one little guy on the factory floor who's just like screwing in a part? Yeah. Well, oh, nobody's ever spoken to me before. Okay, uh, this is what I do and this is my job. And so, let, you know, nobody's ever spoken to me, yeah. the control, like, you know, let, let's, let's just pick a random voice, like you know, fear. Oh, fear, I can speak as fear, not being criticized for being too afraid or nervous or anxious, but I can actually speak as fear, wow. Suddenly I feel kind of seen and heard maybe for the first time, like I'm not getting pushed down or knocked about and I'm, it's kind of freeing. And, and I think the realization, which we'll get to is that every voice within us, every part of ourself just wants to be seen and just wants to be heard and just wants to be appreciated for the function that it fulfills the role it has in our life. The, yeah. And, and um, when it's not being seen or appreciated, it tends to act out. And this is yeah. shadow coming out. This, this is when it sort of, covertly expresses itself in, in less mature and appropriate ways, almost like getting back at the self for not being given the love it, it needs, right? <laughs> so, you said, a few minutes ago, you said, you read that book, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, you just didn't get it. So I want to speak, if I may, and we'll do this big mind process now. Yes. I want to speak to that one, the person who just doesn't get it, the, the, the mind that doesn't uh, know, 
Okay. So the not knowing mind. So if I may, I'd like to speak now to the not knowing mind. You are? Oh, I am the not knowing mind. You just don't get it at all, right? <laughs> <laughs> are you going <really> stupid? <laughs> oh, some people might, but I'm not saying that you're stupid. I'm just trying to figure out who you are, right? Because I don't know. I mean, this is, this is a weird one, huh? Like you are the not knowing mind. You just don't know. You don't understand. You don't get it. You don't put two and two together. You don't see the broader pattern. Like, what's it like to be the one who doesn't know? <laughs> well, just your tone of voice makes me feel incredibly judged. I just feel kind of, Jesus, this dude's, this dude's not okay. Well, like, I think... I think like you not okay to talk to me that way. That, oh, okay. Well, no. So I am perhaps voicing what we as a society often think about not knowing. We yeah. see it as bad. We want the ignorance to be filled in with knowledge, replaced with understanding. So this is kind of what we've internalized, most of us, um, as our job is to, you know, remove ignorance and, and fill it in with knowing. Yeah. But you are the one whose job it is to not know. I mean, that's your literal job description. <laughs> so then I'm doing my job bloody well, frankly. I would say so. If, if I mean, that's my job description, then, 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 then A plus for me. Exactly. Right. So it's just that you're not very often appreciated. In fact, one might even say that you're a little bit disowned within most of us. So, I mean, yeah. are, how, how is Freddie's relationship to you? Now, now we're speaking about the self and the third person, mm -hmm. because I'm talking to you, the one who's the, the one who doesn't know. How's, how's Freddie's relationship not knowing? I think Freddie really, really, really doesn't like me. Freddie really judges me. Huh. And, 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 and when, when you spoke, I heard Freddie's voice earlier when I said, kind of, you know, it's not nice to hear those things. Right. It's well, they nice sound... Hear, but you can't put two and two together. Kind of... Right. You're right. It does sound pejorative. It does sound like a, like a, like a judgment. Um, and yet, when you look at your job description and you look at your name, it is, okay, I'm the one who doesn't know. I'm no. the one who doesn't have an answer. I'm the one who doesn't have these things. They're clearly there, and that is kind of what you are, but you've been disowned. Let me ask you, how do you, because every voice has this covert way of acting now. Clearly, Freddie wants to be the one who knows, he wants to be wise, he wants to be informed. How do you leak out in his life? How do you manifest in his life? Maybe covertly, maybe in ways that he doesn't quite enjoy. That's really an interesting question. I think, I think what I do as the one who doesn't know is I shout so loud that, that I, 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 I stop Freddie from, from actually knowing. It's kind of nearly when I pick up that he wants to know that I shout so loud that I don't allow him to hear. So hmm. I'm forcing him to, to not know. What is that shouting? How is that experienced by him? What, what, what would he call that? That shouting that? Um, I make him feel stupid. I make him think that he can't get it. That, 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 that he's incapable Self of. Self-doubt, perhaps? Is that what he experiences? Yeah. yeah? Confusion? Definitely, right. but definitely a, 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 a feeling of inability. Right. And, and, and a right. very good example is, interesting enough, we're going to lead to earlier, is Freddie doesn't get maths. Mm. Because the minute he looks at two and two, I make him feel afraid, and I make him feel incompetent, and I make him feel stupid. Right. Well, very common, I can tell you that. Um, very common that uh, when we don't understand, uh, there is that judgment that uh, accompanies it. And this, we just feel rotten. Now, and as the one that doesn't understand, you know, you're very present in those moments, but you're clearly not appreciated for Absolutely. manifesting. You are just judged and said, well, what, what the hell are you showing up now? I want to understand this. Here yeah. you are. And 
don't get it. And it just looks like random, you know, characters on a page and, and whether it's, you know, reading a philosophical book or understanding maths or even understanding perhaps another person, somebody in your life who you just don't understand, you just don't get how they're wired. These are all ways in which, um, you know, we, we judge uh, not knowing and not understanding, not, not getting it. Um, and so what is that like for you as the one who doesn't understand to be judged in this way? How do you feel? It about feels pretty awful. Exactly. It's like you've been pushed out. Not heard, yeah. not seen, um, not wanted. I'm literally like, I'm, I'm literally like, 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 like the, the unwanted pregnancy. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> well, it, it's it's interesting because you know we talk about sometimes we talk about you having a job description, but sometimes we just talk about it more like a family. Um, and you're that, that, that disowned child, right? That that member of the family that nobody recognizes as having any worth, and yeah. you know you don't really belong here. So we you know we made a little you know corner took a corner of the basement and we put you there and exactly. there's no light and there's no food and there's no toilet paper even there's yeah. just like cold and dark and lonely and it's because nobody thinks that you have an important role to fulfill the self certainly doesn't think so you know yeah. self is all about knowing wisdom exactly. getting in it loves that feeling of being smart you know and has equated you with stupidity now yeah. would you say looking at yourself would you say that you're stupid if you really examine where you're coming from, is that, are you the same as being no. stupid? No. What's different about you? Why, what, what makes you different from sheer stupidity? I never thought about that. What makes me different from my, from stupidity? Yeah. I think stupidity is a truly inability to know. Well, 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 well I may be, I may, I may be a break, like in, like in the breaks that you pull, ee, stop, break. I, I, I mean, I may be the break. I, I may be the, the, maybe stop and reflect. Maybe mm. is this knowledge really necessary? Is this you? Is this who Freddie is? Is this who Freddie wants to be? Um, maybe I'm maybe I'm reflection. Um, you're, maybe you're a pause in that incessant stream of thinking. Um, but maybe you're also realizing, self-aware that you don't know. Whereas Freddie, when you're disowned, is totally unaware that he doesn't know of how much he's truly ignorant. Right? Yeah. Maybe Freddie. Um, is the one who's actually stupid when he doesn't own you because now he thinks he knows he's you know convinced himself that he knows yeah in fact you know who's more stupid the person who's holding on to a delusion or the person who recognizes their own ignorance I you know? <laughs> so you know really when you look at him over there with all his ideas and his notions and his conceptions of the world and himself and you know he's got so many ideas and you as the one who doesn't know you're that ability to just Put up a big question mark. Really? Yeah. Maybe. You know. Do you have a need? Do you personally? I'm not asking about Freddie, but do you have a need to plug that gap with knowledge? No. Or are you? It, it, right. it, it's not who I am. It, it's just not who I am. Exactly. It would it'd be weird for you to claim knowledge, right? Yeah. For you to claim that you get it. And clearly it's you like don't for me to expect to be female while I'm male. You know, it, it's just not exactly. what exactly. Nothing wrong with knowing when knowing is appropriate, but it's just not you. No. Yeah, beautiful. So what would it look like, do you think, if Freddie were to completely, you know, stop judging the not knowing and to realize the value that you may offer him in his life, the sort of pause, the Contemplation, humility. It feels awesome. awesome. 
it will look like acknowledgement. It, 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 it will look like you have a purpose. Like I have a purpose. It, it, it will right. look like I'm actually making a contribution where up until now I've been feeling completely worthless. Right. In fact, if, if we go back to this Zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance, if you were totally owned and present when reading that book and there's some words on the page that don't seem to click into place in terms of a logical structure, does that upset you personally? Or does it, would that be upsetting to Freddie? It will be but very upsetting. Does for me, me, for Freddie, me, yes. Me personally, no. So it, 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 it was, but now having this conversation with you and getting my voice, no, definitely not. I mean, maybe it just doesn't resonate with it. Yeah. No. Freddie's put himself in this situation where he feels inadequate because he doesn't understand the words of some author who's expressing something pretty esoteric and that came truly from him. But, you know, Freddie's got his own wisdom. Freddie's got his own life to live. And so if something doesn't resonate with him, uh, maybe he can just be comfortable in not knowing. If he were to own and embody you, exactly. he wouldn't have to be, feel inadequate in that situation. He'd just say, I don't, I don't want to get it. It's, I don't understand. Yeah. And be perfectly calm and, and happy about that. Wow. might be curious to say, wow, well, let's explore further because there might yeah. be wisdom for me to extract but you know like in zen one of the things they try to do with all those blows is to just beat various conceptions and delusions out of your head including delusions about what zen is and what enlightenment is i mean they spend so much time just trying to get rid of all your conceptions of enlightenment yeah. one of the things my zen teacher keeps repeating is you know, enlightenment is no other than delusion Meaning any idea you have of enlightenment, you've already put a false idea in your head. <laughs> so if you say you're enlightened, you're the most deluded of anyone. Right? You're more deluded. Right. I like that. And, you know, this is strikes right to the heart of this not knowing. So I would like to try, if you're okay with it, I'd like to try to speak to the one who doesn't know, fully owned, embodied, and empowered. Yes. All right. So, so who am I speaking to now? The one who doesn't know. I'm fully fully known and empowered and embodied. Fully embodied and empowered. What's it like to have this embodied sense of just not knowing? To total not knowing, not... It's awesome. No, not needing to know, not constantly analyzing. Oh, it's, it's, it feels real. It feels serene. It feels authentic in a way even. Try closing your eyes and just sitting with this voice for a second. This one who doesn't know, who's now given full permission to just be that. I think you can you can you you you, you can hear the, the feeling of of, of, of of not being a stepchild anymore, mm. of showing up fully. I have a role, I have a place. Um, right. No longer in the basement. Exactly. Right. No longer in the basement, but also you said it the serenity. I mean, is this state one that would be helpful when Freddie's meditating? Oh, yeah. Right. Absolutely. To just not know and to not need to know. Yeah. You know, to just show up like this and not try and plug any gaps, not try and replace not knowing with knowledge, not seeing spiritual development as the accumulation of anything but rather just this emptiness of not knowing and being totally cool with it. I love that, the emptiness of not knowing. Um, and that emptiness isn't a bad emptiness. It, 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 it's, it's, a, it, it's a void that's needed right here, right now. And when I say you don't understand and you don't get it, does that hit you like in the gut, if I were to say that? Not, not now, no. 
Yeah, you're right. <laughs> you, you're 100% correct. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> that's, as it should, that's as it should be. Exactly. You don't feel judged. Now, when no. somebody says you don't get it, you say, I know. Well, no. I think, I, know. I don't know. Maybe I do, maybe I <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Eric, we need to move on, but flip it. I, I love this big, this big mind concept. I mean, this is now the third time you've, you've done something like this on me and with me. And um, every time I walk out, I say, whoa, there's a new perception. There's a, this is real, which, which was a part, of my, a part of me, a part of Freddie, whom I never knew could be, could be the way it is. So I'm, I'm learning through big mind to, to, to integrate parts of me that, 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 that I couldn't allow to be integrate, integrated earlier. That's right. And that's awesome. Yeah, and that, that's beautiful. And it does um, feel like becoming more and more whole, less and less conflicted. The conflict arises between a voice who's just trying to do its damn job yeah. and a judgment fearful self that's trying to push it back into the basement right that is this ego that has a concept and a self-identity of who it thinks it wants to be and should be the big should in there there's a big expectation and the the weight of that expectation and this close managing of how we manifest we don't want to be stupid and we don't want to be ignorant we don't want to be this we don't want to be that we don't want to be rude and so we keep stifling various natural expressions of, uh, of authenticity yeah. because the fear is that were those voices to be fully owned embodied and empowered they'd be totally out of control they just you'd show up like a lunatic or a stupid person every day and you know you can't have that you know to function in polite society you need to be in, yeah. you know those things in check right the, the big irony and the big tragedy is that these voices when they're fully owned aren't generally speaking crazy uh, inappropriate, they don't yeah. cause hurt to self or others. For the most part, they come out in actually very healed and, and uh, fun- well-functioning ways. In fact, they help the self navigate life much more skillfully than yeah. when they're disowned. Because when they're disowned, they're in the shadows. And when they're sh- in the shadows, it's not like they've gone away. They're just lurking and m- waiting for a moment to act out covertly. Because Absolutely. what they ultimately want, like any child, is just be seen. Absolutely. And I can bet you that a kid who doesn't receive the love they need from their parents isn't just going to be a quiet and well-behaved kid, right? <laughs> Hashtag true story. So we, we, we unfortunately have to wrap up, but I could spend so much longer chatting to you. Quickly tell us about the company you've started. Okay, so what Toby is a uh, W-A-T-O-B-E. Um, derived from what to be, uh, which is a nice question without an answer. I call it what to be. What to yeah. Uh, so what Toby, but I also we also like the word what Toby because it has an African ring to it. Yeah. Sounds like it might Healy or something, but it actually doesn't mean anything. And, and I also like that the, the fact that we have a vehicle that has the flexibility to to evolve into all kinds of things. Like if we call it onlinemaths.com and we decide say, to you know turn it into Big mind <laughs> mathematics, then you know we'd have to rebrand. So what to be is like very open and general, and and allows us to take any kind of fork in the road that we might see fit. Yeah. Uh, we're teaching mathematics right now because um, I feel like we need to invest in the next generation, as, as most people would agree. But Africa as a continent has a yeah. dire challenge ahead of it. You know, we we're seeing millions uh, of kids who are not attending. Uh, school or those who are attending are not getting a sufficient, uh, uh, adequate education in those schools brought on by many factors, lack of resources, overcrowding, and a lot of teachers who just don't have the skills um, to educate to that extent. Now, technology, which has been ascendant uh, for the past decade or so, especially with the arrival of smartphones and connectivity, uh, promises potentially to plug some of the gaps. I'm not saying that a device like a phone or a tablet can plug all of the gaps in education, but some I do believe can be uh, plugged simply by um, putting an instructor there who knows the subject matter and is really uh, skilled at at, um, teaching. And then we can have other supporting uh, structures in that kid's life 
um, such as you know, uh, a school they can attend during the day and, and, and uh, parents who have been kind of steered into proper parenting and, and uh, supportive parenting techniques and so on. And so what we're doing with our maths instruction is simply addressing the, what is felt to be the, the biggest pain point in these learners' lives, which is maths, a diff- difficult subject for most. Mm-hmm. One where they feel inadequate, maths, anxiety, all those things, they oh, do emerge. And we work on both. We work on both the instruction of, you know, what is a quadratic equation and how do I use it, as well as the, the emotional side. And we have, uh, we've hired mentors and we've hired support, uh, support mechanisms to, to uh, uh, work with those feelings that often uh, hold kids back from being able to enjoy the subject fully uh, because they doubt themselves and think, oh, I can never do it, right? So it, it works both on the cognitive level and on the emotional level. Uh, and ultimately, I just want to see the next generation of learners uh, flourish. And um, of course, with my big mind and my spiritual practice, I, I see education as far more than the limited set of subjects that are taught mm-hmm. in school. And if I could have it my way, I'd love to introduce other learning into curriculum. No. But I'm also a realist in that you know, if I started pushing for that too soon, when even the basics aren't being uh, met in subjects like, you know, English and maths and, and others, that, that's, a, that's a tough ask. Um, so I think kind of in the hierarchy of needs, most families, most parents, most kids say, well, honestly, that's all nice, you know, meditating and all that jazz, but I'm failing maths and I need some help right now. And so my hope is that this vehicle that we've launched, uh, where we teach mathematics online through live lessons delivered every afternoon, um, that that can be the start of a new way of interacting and learning online that's scalable, high quality, uh, and fundamentally like a whole human being approach to education. And I just want to make sure that I understand and let's understand that platform is free. Yeah. So need is, and that's from from what time to what time can you kind of virtually log onto your website and 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 receive free maths education every single day, weekdays. Yeah. So so it is free. Uh, We have a premium program as well um, that offer, especially to those parents who are ready to invest a little bit of extra. Money. I mean, it's not much right now. It's very affordable. It's fifty rand uh, a week. Fifty rand. But, um, I mean, yeah. it, it's, it's very affordable compared to getting a private tutor, right? Absolutely. Which is more like you know three hundred rand an hour, right? This is fifty rand a week. Um, mm-hmm. We we made the one ask. We made it free though uh, on the website just because we want to uh, become a household name. We want to get our uh, name out there, and we don't want that to be a barrier for people to explore. Yeah. Um, uh, so every evening at 5 p.m. we start teaching. Now, depending on the grade you're in, uh, we teach grades 7 through 12 at the moment, um, core math curriculum. Depending on the grade you're in, uh, it might be 5 p.m., 6 p.m. Um, it's, okay. it's usually like either um, twice a week for any given grade, like a Monday and a Wednesday or a Tuesday and a Thursday. To see the schedule that's current, just go to the website, check out the live classes. Amazing. That yeah. is beyond amazing. Really, it is. I actually had... I have two two matric pupils as clients in my in my private practice, and they wrote matric maths last week Thursday and tomorrow I Friday. think Friday and tomorrow yeah mm. and I so wished that I got to know you last year this time because we could have right. changed the lives. <laughs> anyway. We did a five hour matric intensive. Oh, sorry, that was somebody trying. To cool. get in. We did a 25-hour matric intensive um, uh, for learners uh, oh, this year. Um, oh, it's the recordings are all on the website, so if anybody wants to go back and, and check them, they can they can even see the recordings of past live classes. What an amazing, great, amazing thing to do. Anyway, on that note, we are five minutes over time. Already, already had to send a sneaky message to to my next appointment, my sponsee. Five minutes late. <laughs> Panicking, oh shit, he's going to see that I'm, I'm messaging and I'm not interested in our conversation, which is absolutely not, not what it was. But, well, I really want to thank you, number one, for taking this time and bringing this beautiful energy into the space. Number two, for bringing big mind into my life. And number three, for, for, for bringing what Toby to, to, wow, to, to so many, so many 
people who need it. Um, and I can just imagine what a difference that would have made to my life many, many, many years ago. So with an incredibly big and grateful heart, I say thank you very much. Yeah, thank you, Freddie, uh, for giving me this platform to share, you know, what has been a, such a huge influence in my life, the Zen practice and the big mind, uh, as, well, as well as allowing me to speak a little bit about my company, which um, obviously I'd love to see everybody in South Africa who has a kid in that age range kind of use and experience. Um, so it's been a joy and um, I look forward to uh, doing many more big mind sessions with you. I yeah. hear you. I already feel it, it, I love that. I love that process. It's just mind blowing. Look after yourself. Have a wonderful Sunday. See ya. Bye bye. I hope you had as much fun listening to Eric as I had speaking with him. He is such an inspired and inspiring young man that it is near impossible to not feel great after having spent some time with him. I thank Eric for his time and energy from the bottom of my heart. If you want to know more about what I do, please feel free to connect with me on my website, which is www.freddy.org.za, or find me on Facebook at either Meet Me in the Field or Freddy Counselor, or on Twitter at, at @rensburgfreddy or Instagram at Freddy Counselor. Remember that Freddy is always spelt with an IE at the end. Thank you for listening. Be safe. Bye.